Oh, good. It's been, Ben, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good and to see you too. You've been on travels to Manchester and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you brought up also a question that was phrased something in the sense that uh, often you're, uh, you have music or old songs that will come to mind and yeah. that you begin to put together that if you start to control your breathing and put the gaps into breathing, that actually the music will stop also. And I wanted to take a point to congratulate you for that, because that's good knowledge for you to use eventually when you're ready for it. Okay, that's, that's good to hear. And, Very good to hear. Yes. And so let's, let's look at the foundation of that. And so mm -hmm. the first thing that we should look at then is to understand that the mind is very, very much like a ship or a boat in the sense that the ship has rudder, but it doesn't have brakes. Right. Big ships don't have brakes, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. means that the captain of the ship or whoever steering the ship has to look out in advance mm. to make sure that things are clear. Mm, right. Mm. And if there's not, then he has to be ready in advance to do something about it. So as to steer the boat, for instance, to keep it from right, uh, crashing into the harbor, you want it to gently be placed in its berth <laughs> rather than for it to crash in at three or four knots. That wouldn't be good. That would be no, quite disastrous. No. Even, <laughs> at, even at walking speed, if you walk a big ship into a port at walking speed, you're going to do tens of thousands <laughs> of dollars of damage. <laughs> and so in that way, we have to start watching this. Now, the analogy is, is that even a rowboat doesn't have brakes. Mm, mm, very true. And the human mind also don't have brakes. Mm. In a way, you wouldn't even want many of the functions of the mind to have brakes because break, the, putting the brakes on is the same thing as death in the sense of putting the brakes to the part of the brain that does the heartbeat. That does the breathing, that does the heartbeat. That what does... is it? Right. The breathing and the heartbeat happens mostly automatically, and yeah. you want those functions to keep going. The same thing is true about the part of the brain that we would refer to then is the conscious, uh, not the conscious, let's, let's call it the verbal dialogue or the talking mind, mm, mm. because the, uh, the Western society uh, has mostly gotten into, um, let us say the primary mode of operation is, is either hear, hearing or seeing, and that's why we have television. Television seems to satisfy us because it has the two primary things of seeing and, and listening. But uh, but visualizations normally come in the sense of flash images that, that will flash in the brain mm -hmm. that last only one mind moment. Yeah. Where constructed thoughts that have dialogue to them will take a number of mind moments to put those things together. All right. For that reason, the number of mind moments is spent in, discurs in discursive thought is fairly high. Mm. We spend right. more time in... Uh, talking to ourselves than we spend in any other kind of mind moment. 
<laughs> and, and we want to make some changes to that. But the number one thing we have to understand is the change that we're not intending to make is the intention to stop it. Yeah, that's not our intention. No, our intention is is to guide it. Mm, you don't want to and, try and force forcing mm-hmm. the stop will just make make the noise louder, make it more exactly abundant. The switching of the brakes before the crash is not useful. Very true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to try and force something like that at all. Exacerbate whatever it is that you're experiencing. So this is where we have then those concepts of changing the mind from the critical mind mm. into the nurturing mind. Mm. So let's not head off into the high seas of the ups and downs of every different uh, decision that we can make and, and find the safe harbor where things are really easy. Mm. And this is the, uh, the, so we can use so many different analogies. The analogy that feels really good for me, partly because of the psychotherapy, is uh, the analogy of the critical mind versus the nurturing mind, or the critical parent versus the nurturing parent. Yeah. But the Buddha focuses on the quality of calling it the distinction between unwholesome thoughts and wholesome thoughts. But we're talking about the same thing. And the Buddha also talks about the unwholesome thoughts in the sense of being hindrances Mm. to the mind being in a wholesome state. Yes. So this is the whole place now that we've got to go with is, is that above all else, no matter what object of meditation we take or what we call is meditation or no matter who, what teacher it teaches it, there's this number one job that needs to be done that is so obvious and so simple that people just miss it completely. <laughs> it's almost like the saying that if you want to learn to play the piano, you've got to learn a few chords and scales. Mm-hmm. If you don't learn the chords and the scales, you're not going to be able to play music and you're not going to learn new music fast. Because all the music that you ever play was going to be some adaptation to either an appresio, which is a scale mm. with strength notes in it. But the whole point about going up and down the keyboard is what we've got to do, either in groups or in quick fingering. So this is also the same thing as we need to develop those skills of the mind in order to put the mind to work. Fundamentals. It's got to be fit. It's got to be fit for work. Mm. Vikaputta Das is really big on this. In fact, I didn't quite understand what he meant for a long time about when the mind is fit for work. And Mm. he equates that with the mind is fit for work is when there is wisdom at the point of contact. Now, we'll discuss what that means over time. Okay. Okay. But in reality, we're talking about a particular place in the sequence of events in the mind. Mm-hmm. where whatever it was that we were either thinking or looking at, we have now fully processed it in the processing that is called perception and come up with an internal understanding of that which we see. Right, right. That is what contacts us. Reality does not contact the human mind. 
the human mind's construction is what contacts the human mind. Mm-hmm. Interesting, huh? That yeah, very. That's a that's a, a very very interesting take. Yeah. Well, you can see it when you recognize that the mind works in a particular way. Mm. Uh, that we, <clears throat> in order to perceive something or to understand it or to cognize it, cognize mm. it, cognition, cognition. Yeah. Uh, in in fact, the right way of thinking about it correctly is recognition. Mm. Recognition. What does recognition mean? It means that we have seen it before and we've stored it away in memory. And now when we're perceiving it, when we become conscious of it and perceive it, we add the old stuff to it so that we now recognize this as Sister Susie or the dog that we know or whatever like that, because it's all based upon the past. Mm. And then that is the newly constructed item of the mind. Mm-hmm. That newly constructed item of the mind now is like the five senses because you cannot think outside of the five senses. You can yes. think in the sense of touch, taste, smell, uh, seeing, and hearing, and then thinking. But all of those things have to do with your thinking thoughts that you've, uh, of words you've heard. You're having visual images because you have been able to see in the past that people who were completely blind from birth don't see in visual images. Mm. Their spatial contact has to do with touch. That, yeah, that, I mean, obviously I'm not blind, so <laughs> I can't this imagine that. But it's just, exactly it's with the way that people play the piano when they're good at it. Very beginners look at the keyboard. Yeah. Intermediate musicians look at the sheet music. Professionals look at the audience. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. It's impressive. Okay. I, I myself play the drums and... And you know, at one time you used to look at the drums. Yeah, I used to look at the drums and it's just like, oh, woo! And now uh... you don't look at the drums anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know why that's true? It's because you convinced yourself that you know where each drum is. You set the drum set up in a certain way, and there they are, just like the keyboard on a computer, and people learn to touch type. To touch type, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, they don't have, and then they don't have to look at the keyboard anymore until they get a new keyboard. It's a slightly different arrangement, <laughs> or, or in a slightly, like, um, slightly small longer, computers have slightly small shorter. keyboards, and big computers have big keyboards, and your fingers have to adjust to the distance of the keys. Yeah. But yeah. it, but we still do it tactically mm. rather than visually. But in the beginning, we do things visually. But once we see it, now things click visually mm. very fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but uh, when we when we think logically or uh, putting things in in a row or building a concept. Mm-hmm. That's that's language that we use to do that, and that mm-hmm. takes a much longer period of time. So guess what? That means that we spend a whole lot more time talking to ourselves than we do painting pictures for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because right. of the nature of the way that the mind works. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so. What we're getting at now is, is that this verbal thought has gotten to be a major habit. 
Yes. Because we spent so much time talking to ourselves, <laughs> trying to figure things out. Mm. Okay. And so in this regard, in the Petitya Samapada, we begin to understand that things are at two levels. Mm-hmm. We hear, we see at two levels. One is that we see what the eye sees. And then we see it internally in the sense of understanding. And we can use the same word. Oh, I see what you mean. And we're not looking with the eyes at all. You're understanding. We're doing an understanding that's based upon conceptualizations that may or may not have visual images in there. Yeah. But oftentimes we can see things with a visual image and get it. Yes. Just like they say, a picture is worth a thousand (laughs) words. And that's conservative. (laughs) That, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's that, that saying, that use of that saying, yeah. So, now that we know how important this verbal talking is, we can begin to investigate it a little bit, because mostly what we tell ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, is the way that our parents talked to us when we were kids. Right. Not when we were tiny kids, not when we were infants being carried around, that's Gucci Gucci stage. No, we didn't spend much time in Gucci Gucci. No, we did not. We we started about the age of five or six into you got to grow up. You got to be older than you are. Kids that are six and seven always add time to their age. They want to be older so that they could be more grown up and Mm -hmm. get the benefits of being grown up, not recognizing that the benefits of being grown up are very meager compared to the number of orders that you've got to follow in order to be grown up in that world. Yep. (laughs) And so what that means then is most of the talking that we do to ourselves is talking about what should be done, how things ought to be. Comparison, this is good, this is better, I like that even better than that, and we get into a judgmental way of thinking. Now, that judgmental way of thinking, in fact, built our society and people, some people will say, wow, isn't that wonderful? We've got a society here. And other people will scratch their chin and say, and that's how this all this crap came to be. Huh? <laughs> it's very true. Very, very this true. This Hubble wasn't good enough. I wanted a bigger Hubble. And when I make my Hubble big enough, I can put the word Trump Tower at the top of it. The Trump Tower. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's how we think. We think in names and images and big deals and things like this as part of that critical thinking. Yeah. Which boils down to basically, I like this and I don't like that. And when we like this and we don't like that, what is the this and the that are not the actual realities. The this and the that, so what be made of it? Mm. Our own concoction becomes the this or the that that I don't like. Yeah. And if the what what this concoction is that is that I liked or that I didn't like was actually used information from the past, so the likelihood is is that if this reminded me in any way of something that I didn't like in the past, that's going to get part of the mix, and I'm going to automatically program myself to not like this thing Mm. that's impacting me. Mm. 
when we begin to recognize these kind of influences that we have on ourselves, this would then be called the wisdom at that point of contact. When we bring this stuff up and we say, look where this came from, this is a bunch of crap, and I don't have to feel bad because I can see through it now. I can see that this stuff was concocted in the brain uh, under duress in a way. And the duress was the duress of the past. And so um, an example of that is, is that if you're in one political party, mm-hmm. when you hear the name of a, of a person at the top of the other political party, we automatically don't like him because of all we can't take Donald Trump as a brand new Donald Trump today. We've yeah. got to see it the way that he was back in the 1990s or how bad he screwed up 10 years ago or how <sighs> bad he screwed up last year or whatever like that. Always in the past and never being able to see things like they are in the present moment. Mm-hmm. That's why the hatred is so strong against him is because of people living in the past. If they would uh, hear what Donald Trump has to say right now without figuring all that other stuff fit, uh, uh Figuring all of that stuff into it. Mm-hmm. He's quite a comedian. He is an entertaining gentleman. He, he is an entertainer. And if you <laughs> allow him that point, you can give him what he's due. He's due the fact that he's a really excellent entertainer. Mm-hmm. Never mind the past. We have yes. to take it at face value. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, guess what? Well, you and me. From time to time, put ourselves in that position of being the Donald Trump in our life. In the sense mm. that we can't take ourselves and accept ourselves the way we are right now. We've got to go add past crap to it. Yeah. Think of things from the past. Think of things that you are not happy with. And then we're and not happy now. And then you're not happy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You exactly. you slap slap past grievances on the present, and then you're living in the, the the uh, unhelpful, unpleasant, unwholesome emotions of the past in the present. Okay, so now that we're beginning to understand this teaching of the Buddha of Paticca Samuppada, we mm. begin to recognize how important this point is at that point of contact to be to be aware, to be mindful at that point. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's the point when we can make a decision over, is this stuff I just made up a bunch of crap or what? (laughs) 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 And when we can see that this is a bunch of crap that I've just manufactured out of my own pile of shit, (laughs) out of my own dirt bag, (laughs) then I can say that's unwholesome. And That's we can throw that thought and get out. Get out of here. Get out of here. Out you go. This is the crap that we keep coming up with that keeps us unhappy and miserable. That we keep repeat, repeating the errors of the past and we don't learn anything from them. We need to be able to learn something from uh, a past event and to say, fine, that's not who I am anymore. I'm mm-hmm. something brand new now. Let the old go. Let the dead bury the dead, literally. Yeah. Okay, we don't even have to uh, plant corpses or anything. (laughs) Because we don't expect new corpse flowers anyhow. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. So this is the rationale now behind uh, this whole idea that the Buddha had that he was so strong about, about removing the hindrances from the mind. Mm. We have to get the mind in a really wholesome state because the unwholesome states will ignorantly take us into dukkha. And so we wake up to this point. This is the wisdom. This is the investigation of one's right view is to uh, to reference. Is this thought wholesome or what? Is this wholesome? Yes. Well, then yes. you can stay around. Is this wholesome? Yeah, then... No. Then get out of here. Get out of here. All right. <laughs> exactly. Out you go. <laughs> and this is what then creates that wholesomeness in the mind. One wholesome thought after another after another. And we know that they are because every thought that comes by is being checked. Hmm. Do you get in or not? Just like the bouncer the at bouncer, the bar. Yes, 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 now, yes. Okay, every thought that comes to mind, we're going to say, are you wholesome or what? Are you wholesome or what? And when you get to the point that you can recognize, wow, this is pretty nice because we got one wholesome thought after another <laughs> after another. Now is the time that we can relax and go into other things that's worth noting. But guess what? Here's the thing that's really brilliant. This is something that dawned on me only recently, and that is, is that once we get the mind in this wholesome state, mm-hmm. then any noting that we're going to be doing or any awareness practice uh, that would be called meditation by anyone who teaches meditation, mm-hmm. except that they are saying to look at what's there. And now we're saying now we're saying look at what's there because the only thing that's there is wholesome. There is no unwholesome stuff there. We've gladdened the mind into a very wholesome state. So when you know it's just pure wholesomeness. Yes. So let's now get a list going of what are the things that are worth looking at that are wholesome. Things that are worth looking at that are wholesome. I mean, wholesome, wholesome thoughts, you know, thoughts about wholesome uh, wholesome uh, events? No. Yes, okay, you're heading in the right direction. The wholesome events that are happening one by one as they occur in this present moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and also we're talking about the events, not that the door slams shut with the wind, <laughs> but rather the events that are going on in the wholesome mind. Yeah. Ah, now we're beginning to look at something, okay? (laughs) The events in the wholesome mind that are going to be wholesome things, the wholesome events. Well, we have just placed ourselves into this state. Mm -hmm. So this state is something that should be investigated. This wholesome Mm -hmm. state is worthy of investigation. And Mm -hmm. we find that this state, in fact, has various components to it. And one of the components is that we got ourselves into this state by investigation. Therefore, now we can turn the investigation on to the investigation with asking the question, and how's my investigation? Wow, my investigation is improving. I'm beginning to see things now I couldn't see before. Mm-hmm. All right. So mm-hmm, this is the mm-hmm. area that we're going in. Another thing that we can do then is that we can add just about all the items on the Eightfold Noble Path. How is my sati? 
Is my sati getting quicker? Is my mm. sati getting stronger? Mm. Is my is my sati uh, getting quicker in two ways? One is that it comes up quick, and mm. then the other wall is up. How fast is it? <laughs> Can you see things at a tenth of a second yet? Because that's mm. down there where the level of the mind works, and you can begin to see how the mind works at this momentary level if we're quick enough to watch what's going on. So these are the questions. How fast is the mind right now? How How is my sati? Mm, okay. Another one would be right effort. How is my right effort? Do mm. I have the right effort that it takes? Mm. And the next one would be, how is my attitude? Mm. Okay, and so, in fact, by going over and reviewing these things in the mind helps them grow. It's almost like playing the notes of a particular song, and you play those notes over and over again, hearing that song. My song, what is my song? Sati, awareness, uh, mindfulness, uh, uh, investigation, right attitude. All of that stuff is kicking, right? It's like a a well-oiled uh, engine hitting on all the cylinders and we and we keep checking yeah We're listening to that do we hear it because if one of the cylinders is not working it's going to start knocking yes and then you stop okay. and then you rejig it a little bit you you tune it up you do some minor repairs you start again and exactly. then exactly ah it all sounds good lovely a little bit of a little bit of repair work and we're on our way exactly so so then another list that we could work with besides the uh, Eightfold Noble Path that is happening right here now is, is that we've been able to use these skills to place us in this state of mind that we're calling the first jhana. So mm-hmm. let's go look at all of the jhana factors mm-hmm. in the sense of how is my satisfaction right now? Am I really satisfied? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I really like this. This is real satisfaction. Mm. Another way that we look at it then is how is the enthusiasm or exuberance? Enthusiasm mm. and exuberance are very, very closely related, but exuberance takes a little bit more work mm-hmm. where enthusiasm actually makes the work smaller. Exuberance mm. is kind of over the top. And when we recognize that my feelings are quite over the top, that I'm in too much of a wow, I can settle <laughs> that down and just be exuberant. I don't have to be elated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It's, so it's, this it's, is it's a way more, of more, more controlled. Uh huh. More control beginning and more relaxation. Yeah. The more controlled it is and the more relaxed it becomes. That is literally like a wild animal that has no control. He is all over the forest. Yes. But if you can tie the dog to a tree, he may plug and pull for a while, but he's going to lay down and, and, and rest. He's going to lay Especially down. He's going to lay down in the sun. He's going mm-hmm. to enjoy himself, going to relax, going to get a quick nap in, going to feel That's nice and warm exactly and good. How doing this right so we put these controls on the mind so that they Mm -hmm. don't have the the dangers to go wander off in because if they wander into dangerous territory now they got to deal with a bunch of dangerous stuff Mm. if we're not out wandering any place now we can stay relaxed this is the whole idea then is to stay out of dangerous territories of the mind and stay in really wholesome states in this regard now what we mean is, is that we can actually watch and see the ability to apply the mind to the wholesome and sustain it there. 
Mm. That also is something that becomes a lot of work, especially when we get the mind to the point that we can sustain, sustain, sustain. So now there's no more effort in the sustaining. Mm. We only need to apply and sustain when the mind is wavering and waffling around. But when the mind is really stable, now we can leave off the applied and sustained thought. And what we mean by that is now we can begin to put some gaps between the wholesome thoughts. Mm. And these wholesome thoughts, in a way, are very much like music to our ears. <laughs> now you can hear where this is going. Mm. <laughs> mm. That with the breathing, we can begin to control the mind's wholesome thoughts. Once we have the mind controlled into the wholesomeness, so as we breathe in, we breathe in joy. And as we breathe out, we relax, we relax. And at the end of that out breath, we can leave some space. Mm. And so we don't have to have any thoughts or anything happening during that out breath until the body needs air again. And so we're going to start pinning the breath and the, uh, the thinking mind together so that the mind is going to stay quiet until the breathing starts again or vice versa. Whichever comes first, the other one is to follow. Yeah. So when you yeah. breathe in, you'll start thinking again automatically. But if you start <laughs> thinking all, uh, again, then that's the time to take a deep breath anyway, because it's normally by the count of three or four. We're talking only about a couple of seconds of, of gap in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that gap, what are we going to do with that gap? Uh... <laughs> we can get lost in the elation of the fact oh. that we might control the mind and gotten it quiet. The fact that it's quiet, you can try and remain there. Right, right. Okay. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. So you can investigate what quiet is while it's quiet, knowing Ooh. that it... <laughs> <laughs> a quiet mind. What is this? Let me take a closer look. Ah, oh, mm -hmm. lovely. <laughs> okay, now, and then you're like, people... oh, I gotta breathe again. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the thing that makes this so different mm -hmm. than Western meditation. Mm. is because Western meditation thinks that meditation is going deep and that the no mind is getting closer and closer to sleep, mm. which is true. What we're doing is going in exactly the opposite direction. We're so alert and so awake, we don't have time to think about <laughs> what we're doing. We're too busy doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, this is about, and this is actually, you can see it in, creeping into our language in the sense of some martial arts and other sports have a quality of the flow. The flow state. The flow yes. state. This is yes. exactly what we're getting ourselves into without the boxing gloves or the ears of getting punched around <laughs> or the million-dollar Ferrari. We don't need that car to get in this flow state. We could just sit there and pay close attention to what we're doing and get into that flow state of really paying close attention to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And we can do it even faster than the boxer or the martial artist because he's got to react to 
what he's seeing. So he's spending part of his time watching and part of his time reacting or defending himself for what his partner is doing. Mm. Here we could spend all of the time not defending because not everything defending. is wholesome. We don't have to worry about getting punched in the face. <laughs> right. We don't have to worry about getting punched in the face. But we've got those blocks already built up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in fact, this state we could get in and still be subject to hindrances. We do, in fact, slug ourselves in the face mm-hmm. without even recognizing that that's what we're doing. That's why it's so important to get out of the hindrances so that we can basically get in the flow state while shadow boxing. Shadow boxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't got a risk of being punched in the face if you're doing that. (laughs) Exactly. No risk of getting punched in the face. And so the shadow boxing basically is even the shadow of a shadow Mm. in the sense of everything is happening inside the mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That in fact, the Buddha uses the shadow in the sense of talking about the internal states that we were talking about. And he, he licensed it to a tree, a real tree with real roots, really big trunk, really big branches, leaves the whole nine yards. And then that tree is standing in the sun and the sun and the tree together create a shadow of the tree. The shadow of the tree is even more, um, let us say, unstable than the tree itself. Yeah, the leaves blow in the wind of the tree, but the tree's going to just stand there mm-hmm. to where the shadow itself moves all the way around the tree. And then what happens the at night? The shadow's and then gone. Then the shadow is gone. Exactly. If, it, if it's a cloudy day, the shadow becomes, you know, weaker, I suppose. So in that regard, the reality of the situation for ourselves is the tree itself Mm -hmm. and those mental images that we construct is like the shadow. Mm -hmm. And it has stuff behind it that keeps us from being able to see the actual tree. We keep looking at a shadow. Mm -hmm. Now we're beginning to wake up through these wholesome states. We're beginning to see, wait a minute, what I'm actually looking at is a shadow. That's what's been running my life all my life. Let's start looking at the real deal for a while. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is when we get the mind really sharp and focused so that we can back it up even quicker in time to go beyond that level of feeling and perception down to just bare consciousness. Because that bare consciousness does not have to be evaluated, understood, mm-hmm. um, uh, comprehended, uh, cognized, or a story told about it. Mm-hmm. Because that storytelling takes us away from the actual experience. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that experience we're also looking at is the fact that things happen pretty fast. Very fast, yeah. But the human mind is very slow because we see something, then we dig up out of our past, we process it, we turn to a conclusion, that conclusion impacts us, and so finally we have a result of feelings. Yeah, and those feelings are a a lot of dukkha. That takes time in there, mm-hmm. okay? If we can back up the mind to get it faster and faster and faster when our sati is getting faster and faster, that means we could see how the mind creates this uh, mental image, mm-hmm. how perception actually works. 
and we can get right down to the level of consciousness to just get in the flow literally and just be in it. This is what they actually mean when they use words like being at one with nature, yeah. making one with everything. Why is that? Is because we're not going through the secondary process of trying to figure it out. We're just letting it be. Just let it be. Very, just... very sharp level where the mind is really sharp. Yeah. Not, dull, not deep in meditation, but it mm. is really sharp in recognizing exactly how the mind does function and does operate. And this is all very wholesome. Mm. And this can all be done in the first jhana. This can Dying. all, you can actually see consciousness you can see how the mind actually works you can see these feelings and the place that we're going to work with those feelings for the while to to gain up the skills that i'm talking about because this is a bit of process of building skills mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is to make sure that at that point of contact that we've only wound up with a wholesome thought that's yeah. the thing. We're going to start working on it over and over again so that we're going to start twicking or tweedling this old sand car to not bring up old, dirty, past laundry. We're going to get a brand new suit every day. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay, that's the way. Always everything is new. Everything is brand new. I don't have to spend so much time trying to make what I see new into something old that I hated once. Mm. Mm. I can leave this new thing as it is new without adding my old perceptions and anger and frustrations and not liking and all of that kind of stuff. Trying to force yourself to understand something when you don't need to. It, it it sounds like a very, very Western thing to try and understand everything. Mm -hmm. Very, very Rather Western thing. Rather than just thing. experience it. Rather Let than it just experience it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The tr trying too hard to understand and to know everything rather than just letting it be, seeing it for, for what it is and just experiencing it. Yeah. But in order to do that, this is a skill that has to be developed. Yes. And part of the skill has to do with several things. One of the most important one is the speed of how quick can we wake up? How fast can we see what is happening? Yeah. Do we have to let four or five mind moments go before we wake up in a mind moment? Or we can have a mind moment and wake and a mind moment and wake and a mind moment and wake. <laughs> That's about the best we could do. Yeah. Is to wake up to this is what's happening. Got it. This is how. Got it. This that. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but in the process of this, in this uh, discussion, uh, or the uh, while we're sitting in that wholesome state, watching things as they occur, one by one, wholesome things, we not only watch them arise, mm -hmm. but we also watch them pass away. Yeah. You don't but these mind moments mold together, and so if, when this arises, it's going to pass away. When this arises, this is going to pass away. Then when this arises over here, this is going to pass away. And so we have this arising and passing away. Everything keeps splittering from one mind moment to the next. There's always this up and down motion of the living and the dying of every event. 
mm-hmm. that is part of this cycle of Anitra or this cycle of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. This caused that, okay? But this causation now is gone. And this is the result, and now that result becomes a cause, and so it causes the next thing to arise, and then that one dies away. This stuff happens so fast that we don't even know how fast. I mean, it's, it's way beyond the speed of science. All of our measuring equipment is far too slow to catch how things cause a, like a, a very, very high-speed camera that says does a billion frames a second. Mm. In that one billionth of a second, how many causes and effects from the eye, the lens opening, the light hitting the uh, 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 the the back plane? Let's see, what is that? A charge couple device. Got it. Yeah. The charge couple device <laughs> has to send electrons down an amplifier, which is going to pick those pixels up, rearrange them into an order so that it could store an image someplace. Right. Yeah. How many causes and effects are in that? loads <laughs> okay so can we get all of that going down to the point of can we do a whole camera with all the stuff a camera's got to do in one cycle of cause and effect it's impossible not a chance not a chance <laughs> and so physics, there is a hole in physics because we don't know how fast things happen because we can't measure how fast things happen because the measuring takes so much longer than the thing happened. That's crazy to think about. That is Well, that's how... uh, Well, no, this means that now we've got a job to do. We're going to say we can't do uh, causality, but we can certainly watch the cycles of the mind. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, in fact... uh, Generally, in computer science, if you take a degree in computer science, one of those courses is going to be very close to the hardware. Mm, yeah. Where you've got to actually understand this instruction does this, and you like load, add, store, branch on condition, all of those little uh, um, uh, instructions are similar to the way that the mind works, also. Mm hmm. Okay, that there's little bits and pieces down at the level of the instruction set, which would be one machine cycle. Well, in the human brain, we call that a mind moment, the machine cycle. What's the fastest that you could do? Okay, an example of that would be um, on the Internet. You can go look for this. And that is is that there are uh, tests for reaction time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And seen, they will have a examples. red screen, and then as soon as the screen turns b- green or blue, you click the mouse. Yeah. And then your computer with the uh, software that's in the HTML uh, will calculate how long it took for that turn that screen to turn green before you click the mouse. Yeah. Most people can get it under 300 milliseconds. Most people can get it under 300 milliseconds. Generally, women are a bit slower than men on average. Men are about 220 milliseconds, but you can get it down faster. They say, in fact, if you can get it down to 200 milliseconds, you're in the realm of black belt karate. Really? Okay. And if you can get it down to about 180, 180 milliseconds, that's uh, Olympic champion world class. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay, so we're we're talking about a, a range of things. These mind moments are not like computers that have a very heavy duty clock. It keeps that thing kicking. 
Yeah. Some mine moments are long. But if you're mm. right on top of it, you can get that click down to about 200 milliseconds at black belt level, which means two things. One, it means you saw it. Mm-hmm. And number two, you click the mouse. Yes. That's two mind moments. 200 milliseconds oh. is right down there where everybody estimates a mind moment lasts about a tenth of a second. And oh, this reaction God. time system will will prove that exactly how fast because it's only a very simple thing now let us say that that they could change color two or three times but only when this screen goes completely green do you click the mouse that will take longer yes because you have to take more mind moments to make decisions in there about is this this is this is not green this is blue don't click this is yellow, not green. It's not just that something changed. It's now you have to make a new discernment, which is going to take a new mind moment in there. There's layers to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so there's that many layers sense. to it. Uh-huh. And so by, by understanding these kind of things and playing these kind of games on the Internet, you can begin to chest yourself, see how your mind operates and things like that with this ordinary stuff that ordinary people do so that then when you go into these really wholesome states that we're talking about into this jhana mm -hmm. now you can actually begin to understand directly of how the mind works we can we can understand directly what are these skills that we're developing and we can understand these jhana states we can see what is exhilaration what is um um enthusiasm mm -hmm. okay because we have already started building enthusiasm as we grow in in our skills our enthusiasm grows while our uh, euphoria kind of melts away into a satisfied sukha mm. so that we're uh completely at rest and completely alert at the same time <laughs> Because the enthusiasm is there. It's almost like um, a jack-in-the-box, you know, where yeah. you turn the crank and it plays a little song about uh, uh, Pop Goes the Weasel and whatnot yes. like that. Okay, <laughs> most of us are like the jack-in-the-box, except that after we turn the crank and the, and the door opens, we got to go in there and grab the jack-in-the-box and pull him out. <laughs> the heart we have to things, take but the effort, nothing pops right? out, yeah. Nothing pops up. Okay, well, after we've developed the skill, then it's like the jack-in-the-box. When we turn the crank, the lid pops open and jack-in-the-box pops out. The wholesome pops just pop right up. Just pops right out. No effort. Okay, it and, so, automatically. And, and so we need to notice that also, that how's my effort? My effort right now is bring loaded. That's my effort. <laughs> <laughs> spring-loaded effort it's, yeah yeah spring-loaded effort so as soon as the trick goes off we don't have to get up get dressed and go to work it's spring-loaded you go Pump! <laughs> and so we just automatically start taking those deep breaths we automatically start gladdening the mind and and go right into the wholesome mm. so there is uh and so this is also something to look at how's that effort is it actually energy now this is this is getting dead easy now. This is getting completely easy because even the effort now is <laughs> almost a surprise at how much uh, little effort it actually takes. 
<laughs> yeah, it may take a lot of effort at first, but after, as time goes on, the effort is less and less and less to get the same Because deep inside, we begin to see this being in a wholesome state is so much better than being in the ordinary state of uh, up and down and back and forth and critical and yes, I like this and no, I don't like that. Into this completely wholesome state. I hear this, it's just so good. (laughs) (laughs) And so naturally... Now you know, well, what are we going to do when we get that uh, into that state? We're going to do an inventory. Mm. Uh, How how, how is my sati? How is my attitude, my effort? How is Mm -hmm. all of that? Uh Uh-huh. Tick, 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 tick. Tick, 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 tick. Oh, we're good. (laughs) Right, and that starts to build up our confidence even more. Alliance confidence, yeah. Yes, alliance confidence. We've got all the tools, right. So another analogy we can use is is being like a night watchman Mm. on rounds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and this can be used in the sense of the word concentration, because a lot of people think that what we're doing in meditation is building up concentration. Concentration then would be like the guard sitting at his guard desk reading a hoochie goochie book. He's really focused and concentrating on it, but he's not doing his job. He's not doing his job. He's not aware of what's going on at the facility, the building. Right. He's got to go do his job. He's got to go check every doorknob. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is what we're doing when we're in this, uh, uh, this state of basically the empty building. And here we are, the guard. We're the night guard of an empty building. And it's our job to go make sure that everything is secure and wholesome. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. this is a this is the analogy, and we go check. Yep, that that door's locked. Yep, that was locked. Yep, that was locked. Everything is locked down. I like that. And so we just go through checking things out on guard to make sure that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. So this is the way that we begin to practice once we get the mind in that really wholesome state. Mm-hmm. And by the way. All of this is discussed in a particular sutta, number 111 in the Majjhima Nikaya, and mm-hmm. the name of it is One by One as They Occur. One by One as They Occur. Where uh, the Buddha is talking about Sariputta, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this actually, this sutta seems to be, based upon some catchphrases and other things, it seems to be very, very old, an old sutta. Okay. Open in the sense that this wasn't when Sariputta was an old man and the Buddha was an old man sitting and reminiscing. This seems to have been like the an year early. That happened. Right. This mm-hmm. is early. Um, and that uh, the Sutta is talking about uh, the kind of, first off, the kind of wisdom that uh, Sariputta has, and it uses the, the typical uh, suspects of sharp wisdom. Fast wisdom, but the Buddha also included the word laughing wisdom. Laughing when I saw that, wisdom. yeah, I just I like that one. <laughs> My favorite <laughs> kind of wisdom. Sharp wisdom is good stuff, but laughing wisdom—that's the top quality. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Buddha says, and this is how he did it. And then it says, for a fortnight. Sariputta practice in this way. A fortnight. Two weeks. 
two straight two weeks. weeks. Two straight weeks. And yet many people in modern times, they'll do two weeks, three weeks, six months of a meditation yeah, retreat and come yeah. not getting much out of it. <laughs> All right. Uh. Or, so here's the question. What was Sariputta doing? Mm. Yeah. And the answer to that would be, before we ask that question, let us say, what was he already skilled at? What skill did he bring? Because ah. he was already a mendicant. And back during those days, just like the Buddha, Sariputta was probably already skilled in the jhanas. He just didn't know what to do with them. Right, 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 right. Okay. And mm. so now this, uh, the next paragraph of the sutta, it starts this way. The word quite secluded is the big term it starts the sentence quite secluded from sensual uh pleasures quite secluded from all unwholesome states period well you know as far as i'm concerned you can finish the sutta right now <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to know that's it right there quite secluded from the unwholesome states and then it immediately says he entered in and abided in the first jhana well this is the whole point getting the mind into these wholesome states and the jhana factors arise and come mm. when he gets there then it's one by one as they occur not in the sense of one by one as they occur in the writing of the sutta when we read center, we read this word, that word, this word, and that word. But here we're saying one by one as they occur, as they occur in the mind or as yeah. they arise, uh, uh, as they take advantage of the mind moment and come to mind. Mm -hmm. And so this is where that list is that I was telling you about. This starts off with the jhana factors, the Eightfold Noble Path adds a few things from the Sambo jhana, including equanimity and enthusiasm and paying attention, all of those really wholesome things that we're going to be paying attention to. Yeah. And then it says that as Sariputta was paying attention to this, he paid first attention to the arising of these states. And then he began to pay attention to the arising and the passing away. That when this one arises, that one passes away. When this one arises, that one passes away. That's the way that we begin to see that everything is in turmoil and everything is in flux. Mm. And then after that, when we see everything is, uh, is just flickering away. By seeing that, uh, then Sariputta says that he knows that there is an end to all of this. And with constant practice, he began to say, for sure, I know that there is an end to this. Yeah. Okay. That's how we, uh, and so all of these other suttas that uh, talk about these various things, here the Buddha is packing it into a package deal. But like I said, the way that the sutta is written, it looks like it's actually quite old. And so this has been the teaching of the Buddha all along. All along. About getting these the, the mind cleaned out so that we, in fact, can do uh, the evaluation of the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Noble Path. How's this? How's that? What is the Third Noble Truth? Are we free from suffering yet, Daddy? <laughs> Are we there yet, Daddy? Yeah, we're there. Here it is. Yeah, we're free. No, no suffering. This is it. Okay, so this is something that we have to uh, um, examine. And by examining it, we can recognize that there is an end to the suffering. 
here it is. This is the practice. We can bring ourselves to this end by focusing on only the wholesome things. Yeah. And so that's what this sutta is about. The whole show is basically them, him going through the suttas or going through the jhanas. But as he does so, he's only removing the factors of the first jhana that are not there in the second. So as we go higher in the jhanas, they're just merely less and less to notice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, At yeah. no point do we ever go into anything like a dark night of the soul of fear, misery, despair, <laughs> disgust, and strong desire to get out, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, I think step six, seven, eight, nine, and ten of the uh, uh, um, the seven, sixteen stages of insight that Mohasi has. Right, right, okay? right. And here's the distinction is the Mohasi starts them noting. But they don't really become dedicated to the noting until after they go through the despair and this great desire to be free from suffering. It's only then when they take it up. And they could have been practicing for 20 years wrongly <sighs> before they finally figure out that we've got to clean the mind. We've got to give, be free yeah. from despair. We've got to be free from this. We've got to be free from disgust. We've got to be free from uh, from uh all of that stuff so that we can now see things the way that they are so that we can see clearly enough to see the end of it all mm-hmm. that's that, that is an end that's the end yeah right. the end of it all is to see how the mind works so that we can begin to take control over it with the same um let us say gusto that we started with the whacking of the cows. <laughs> the gusto yeah. of actually taking a deep breath, the gusto of seizing the object and taking control of it. We got to take control of the breathing and then take control of the thoughts to make them wholesome mm. so that eventually we can take the, the control of the thoughts to put blanks and spaces in there where we can really see what's going on in between but we still have to grab that object too. Yeah. It's I like the, I like the analogy with the cows. When I catch myself thinking unwholesomely, I do sort of close my eyes a little bit and then whack, whack, whack. get yeah. back in line. Get, Let's get go. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on, doggies. Let's do this job right. Exactly so. That's such a beautiful analogy, and I'm glad that it works so well for you. It really uh, does. It really, really does. It's a very, very effective analogy. Okay, so now we recognize that that whacking of the cows has to be done even at later stages when the cows are all wholesome. Mm, when they're all in the pasture. When they're all in the pasture or in the sense of even beyond when, they're no, when there's no more cows left, we still have to whack them because there's going to be a new kind of cow in the sense of now we're not dealing with just feelings, now we're dealing with perception itself. How mm. does the mind actually concoct the kind of crap that I've been used to feeding myself? Yes. Okay, so this is how, and so we have to actually grab and take hold of perception so that we can begin to make some gaps between consciousness and perception so that we can see things the way that they actually really are. 
And yes. the Buddha talks about it. And in fact, this statement that I'm about to make is one of the things that makes the sutta seem so old mm -hmm. is because this phrase has been also suttas that we know for sure are very old, like the Sutta Napata and the Udhanata, where this sutta we're talking about now that seems mm -hmm. to be old, but is in the middle length saying. So that means that it's... Uh, was put together with the stuff that was put together at the time of the Buddha's death. Mm, mm. Okay, so we go back to that old phrase, and this is what we find there, is when the scene is merely the scene, and the herd is merely the herd, mm -hmm. and the cognized is merely the cognized, and the touch is merely touched or felt. It's merely a touch, or when we see something, it's merely the scene. It's not taking the perception time to co uh, to concoct a story about it. Mm. It's just merely the scene. It's just purely experience. It's, it's pure experience, and there's going to be a lot of experience when things are uh, when the scene is merely the scene. Then there's a lot of seeing going on. <laughs> because there's a lot to see with the eyes. I mean, it's amazing. Just mm. um, uh, uh, the gaze into your room, and you can then close your eyes, and you recognize there's so much stuff in the room you can't memorize everything in the room. <laughs> it is far too complicated, and yeah. we haven't been paying attention. But now if we're seeing mm -hmm. mirror to the scene, then we can see what it is. We don't have to name it, but we can see it. You can see it. You don't have to assign it something. Called, this is what can be called uh, photographic memory. Yes. Why? Actually, what that means is, is the person who has photographic memory is only looking. He's not telling himself a story. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if he tells himself a story, then all he remembers is the story he told, and he doesn't remember what he actually saw. But if we it's, can get down to the scene as merely the scene, then we can actually see it as if it were a photograph. There's no narrative attached to the scene. Exactly. It is just purely a scene. Yeah, exactly. So this is where we're going when the mind gets really, really sharp. I don't expect mm. you to be able to do that yet, but you do know <laughs> where you're going with it. Yes. How's my sati? How's my perception? Can I see myself actually concocting thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I've had a few instances of where I've been able to see myself concocting thoughts, and then mm -hmm. if I've noticed that the thoughts are unwholesome, then I'm like, hey, yeah, out of here, right? Doing? Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. So this is the way that we practice now, is that we practice getting ourselves into wholesome states, and then we practice by noting, one by one as they occur, all the various wholesome states that are associated with how we are right now. These jhana factors, these path factors, and in a way, uh, the whole show of the Four Noble Truths is there in evidence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as we do this investigation, one of the things that we're going to look for is, but where am I in all of this? And the answer is, you're not going to find it. <laughs> oh, the self, the 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 uh, absence of the self. Yes. Well, yeah. it's actually 
uh, when we are in wholesome states, it's absent. Uh, when we are in unwholesome states, that's when we become selfish. Yes. If we can understand uh, the teaching of the Buddha, Vinata and uh, Atta, and that whole show, the easiest way for an individual to get a good handle on it is by using not the word self, but the word selfish. Mm. Are you selfish right now or are you unselfish? If you are unselfish right now, then that's wholesome. If you're selfish, that's not wholesome. Mm. And when you're selfish, what does that mean? You're defensive. You're trying mm -hmm. to protect yourself. It's dangerous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you take something that belongs to me that's mine and I'm going to get angry because I'm afraid that I'll lose something and, that, and so you can see that in fact all the unwholesome feelings that we have are associated with self yes when we're completely in the wholesome there's no self there mm. and then we say wait a minute now we understand the teachings <laughs> of the Buddha correctly <laughs> <laughs> This is where the self comes from, is, is that it's something concocted that needs to be concocted in order to be protected. Needs to be concocted to protect it. To that's, be protected. That is... That is stupid. <laughs> it needs to concoct itself to then be protected. That is... Pointless. <laughs> that is human, though. That, yeah. that is so human. Very, very human. Okay, so Mr. A and Mr. B are having a conversation, and Mr. B says, How bad uh, Republican Party C is. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. And how bad uh, uh, Political Party C is. If Mr. A is not in either that party or the opposition party, then he's not going to get selfish about it because it's not his. But mm -hmm. if you start um, uh, destroying his party, mm -hmm. then his selfishness will come up and he will have bad feelings because you're hurting his party. Yeah. But if that party is not his party, then you can trash it away. He'll help you trash it. He don't care. It's not <laughs> his. <laughs> yeah. And yes, so yes, if, yes. We stop, if we stop identifying with political parties, then we stop a whole lot of suffering. If yeah. we stop identifying with I'm an Englishman or I'm a, a, a Tibetan or I'm a this or a that, Anything that we identify with is going to cause us suffering. That's being selfish. I'm placing myself into that thing, which means that when it burns down, I burn down you too. Burn down with it, yeah. Mm -hmm. But when I'm not in it, it can burn down by itself happily without me. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. this is how we begin to see this is the wholesome is to not identify with things. It's unwholesome to identify that I am that I am a yeah. Christian, or I am a Buddhist, or I am this, that, or the other thing, mm. and anything that I can claim that I am will cause me suffering when it's attacked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So don't identify with anything. It's wholesome not to identify. <laughs> this is the easiest way to understand what what self is. Mm. Is what we identify to. Yeah. And when identify with anything then it doesn't matter what you say about it or 
I mean, the Democratic Party could go belly up this afternoon. <laughs> and only a few people are going to laugh hysterically over that. I want to see it. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Only a few people. Yeah. Yeah. But a whole lot of people are trying to keep it upright and a whole lot of other people are trying to knock it over and everybody's unhappy. Yes. Even if you're trying to knock it over and, you know, you've succeeded or whatever in the process of trying to do it, you were very, very unhappy because you were identifying with it. Exactly. So this is what we mean by the self. And when we can see things from a purely wholesome place, we can see that that identification is dangerous. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I shall not do that, but I'm beginning to see how the mind works. And the way that we identify things is by bringing up the past. Damn past. the past. past. <laughs> exactly. And so living more in the present moment is the way to go. Yeah. It's much more wholesome. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot more wholesome. It does seem like. Yeah, pretty much all of people's problems and issues just stem from the past. Mm-hmm. But it's we a very human thing to do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we had the delusion that uh, the world is a very dangerous place, and I've got to learn my way around, and I've got to keep track of a whole bunch of crap going on because it's dangerous. Yeah. But now that we're adults, now that we're fully functioning adults and winners, we can recognize, no, I can handle all of that. It's not an issue. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But when we're little kids, we feel really overwhelmed. And so we got to keep track of stuff. We feel, we almost get into that state of, I got to get it. I got to get it. Because yeah. it's really dangerous if I don't. Now we can relax with that. We don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. You were successful. Your life is safe now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also comes from, you know, like the Stony Age, the Stone Age stuff, you know, the world is a dangerous place mm-hmm. because i got saber-toothed tigers coming after me and giant wolves yeah. and cave bears and stuff. In a way, the Stone Age was started because mankind could see things were dangerous and we needed some stones. <laughs> we needed Stone something age. to combat the dangerous. Right, exactly. This is the beginning of human materialism, is yeah. picking up that stone. Now, other animals, I mean, otters, for instance, will pick up stones. Yeah, yeah use it to smash oysters and, and, and stuff like that. But what did he do with the stone once he smashes the oyster? <laughs> what does the human do with the stone after he bashes another human skull with it? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so we as humans start collecting materialism, mm. collecting material goods because we find safety in them. Yeah. Guess what? That human being that picked up that rock and clung to it it just, it, all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know how long it took, but that stone turned into a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> but the man is the same. <laughs> yeah. Man is the same, but the the object is different. The clinging to something is but the, the same. But the clinging is the same. The clinging, clinging is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if there's tens My of thousands rock. of 
yeah, tens of thousands of my years of separation, shelf. but it's it's mine, it's mine. Oh, I like this. Mm -hmm. It's mine. Exactly. It makes me feel safe. Yeah. And you see, the otter doesn't do that. The, the otter's otter like cool. I've used the utility. It. Yes. And after the utility is finished, the rock is too. The same thing is with uh, uh, apes, uh, uh, chimpanzees and, and uh, larger apes will take a reed and poke it down into a hole for the grubs to start eating that reed. And when they can feel the grub eating it, they'll pull it out. What do they do with the reed after they get to grub? What does the American, oh, excuse me, yeah, what does the American do with his reed? He puts it in his breast pocket with all the other reeds that he's been collecting. <laughs> he's a nerd, you know. <laughs> he's got a pocket lighter for his reeds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the monkey, the chimp, the ape sees utility. He knows that he can get something which will work just perfectly fine when he next needs it. So... Mm -hmm. And that's the fine. Human sees it as mine. And that's where the danger comes in, is clinging to material goods as if they belong to me, yeah. rather than just tossing it out because I'm finished with the utility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the, the, the new student on the block will say, well, yeah, but maybe I'll, lead, I'll need that rock later. Now he's in the rock. past it. Brian, <laughs> you stole my thunder. <laughs> yeah, many times students are a step ahead of me. They know exactly what I'm about to say. <laughs> but yeah, clinging to the past. Oh, what it's what? What if? What if? As well, mm -hmm. you said what if? What if thinking not helpful? <laughs> exactly. Because we're thinking about danger. What if the danger? What if the yeah. danger? Is? No danger. If I need a rock, there's rocks. Plenty of rocks. But I don't need a rock right now because there's no danger. Exactly. Exactly. And yet, how many possessions does a normal, average human being own Odd. because they think that it's going to become useful someday? Hmm. Or look how many, like in America, why is it the Americas, the American people, it must be the most dangerous place in the world. Because, yeah, because of the all the stuff they've got. Right, they got to buy the guns to protect all the stuff they've got. <sighs> yeah, it's got to be the most dangerous place on Earth, you know. They've got all the stuff that they need, and then they need stuff to protect their stuff. <laughs> Stuff to protect their stuff. That is I, wow. I see, right, <laughs> exactly right, and they all do it in the in the um, uh, let us say under the service of protecting me. Yes. Yeah. And so the underlying feeling for all of this materialism is the feeling of fear. Mm, mm. And so we have to learn to find a way of getting fear out of the mind. And the way to do that, the reason that the fear keeps coming back in the mind is because of all the unwholesome thoughts of maybe this and maybe that. If we remove the unwholesome thoughts and have only wholesome thoughts in the mind, then there's nothing to fear. There is no danger right now. Yeah. And so that's the new state to get in is to get into that state of fearlessness, which is part actually at this point in time is the part of sukha, of feeling 
safe, secure, and satisfied, comfortable. This is the feeling that we uh, can, can have when the mind is not being selfishly endangered. Yeah. And so even if the Buddha didn't give us anything to do with this state of mind, just being in it all the time is quite a benefit. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a very pleasant state of mind to find yourself in. So, right. should strive so, to be in it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And to now we have the additional point of how to maintain that and make it improve and even better is by now we're going to start intentionally taking care of noting things that are all wholesome mm. that are still left. Chuck out the unwholesome, note the wholesome, and be like, yeah, that's nice. (laughs) So this is the way that we practice. And and I'm glad today, uh, Ben, that we're actually able to weave in various aspects of the teaching of Paticca Samapada, because the student needs a bit of the foundation of how the mind works in order to even understand why and how the sutta is set up. Yes. But we're already at the point of now that we have this first jhana capabilities, we need to know what to do with it. Yeah. Okay, so this is what we're going to do with it. We're going to examine how the mind works when the mind is in a really wholesome state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to examine these skills that we got into it. We're going to examine the features of it. And we're going to see this stuff arising and passing away and arising and passing away. Cause effect, cause effect. Cause effect, cause effect. And it's actually quite a magic show. It, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds very magical. Very, very magical. <laughs> and so good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, it's uh, I look forward to it. I yes, look forward yeah. to it. <laughs> well, do you have any any questions about what we've been talking about today? No, no, no. It's all been very, very comprehensive, very, very comprehensive, and very interesting as well. Excellent. Well, let us hope you don't have to go die in Manchester again before you call me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so when I got back, I had a COVID test and everything, and all good, all good. But it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. You have to shove something up your nose, and (laughs) it felt very strange. Oh, you're talking about a COVID test? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You have to do something on the throat and then shove something up your nose, and... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, they know where the COVID stay. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, yeah. It felt very unnatural, very strange. The only way to get in there, instead of drawing a knife directly, they take a long stick and stab it up your nose about that far. (laughs) It was odd. It was very odd, but all clean, all healthy. Very good. Very, very good. Yes. Well, now you know what it's like for the next time you have the test. Exactly. I, I know what to expect. And hopefully I won't go <laughs> as it happens. <laughs> but yeah. But no, lovely to speak to you again today. Uh, this has been a very, very interesting, comprehensive uh, and in-depth conversation. And thank you very much.
I'm glad that you found some use of art. Oh, yes, yes. Plenty of use. Plenty of use. All right, Ben, well, we'll see you later. Yes, yes. Speak again soon. Take care, and thank you very much for today. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.